Well, hello, Heritage family. It is so good to be with you as we continue in our Walking with Giants message series. My name's Jeremiah. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here, and I am so thrilled that you're joining us for this part of our conversation. I want to greet those of you who are joining us online, our brothers at the Kiwani campus, family at Bentendorf, and everybody here in Rock Island. You don't know it yet, but you are so glad you're participating in what God has for us today. I believe he is speaking to us in these moments and that he has something for each of us as we continue pressing into the stories of giant faith through the book of Hebrews. We've been in Hebrews chapter 11 for a few weeks now looking at different stories of people who exhibit giant faith. And we're continuing in that conversation today. So if you want to, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11 in your scriptures or click there. You can follow along using your sermon note guide. Today, we're looking at the story of a man named Moses. And I know as soon as we mention that name, there are those of you who are, who are watching who have no idea who that is. And that's okay. I'm so glad that you're here. I believe God is going to speak to us through his word and through the story of this man named Moses. We're going to learn some great things about him, and I trust that God will be faithful as we press into his word together. I know there are some of you on kind of the other end of the spectrum, and you're, you're kind of thinking, is there anything left to uncover through the story of Moses? And I believe God's word is alive and active, and he's going to reveal fresh truth truth to us today. So I invite you, press in, lean forward with fresh eyes and fresh ears to hear and see what God will do among us. And maybe you're there in the middle. I'm glad you're here too. And I trust God is going to speak to each and every one of us about who he desires us to be as we become people of giant faith, people living lives of purpose and adventure and meaning, the lives of purpose that when we are in our most tired moments, we hear that voice cry out inside of us saying, there's got to be more, and I assure you there is more, that God has more for us, and we're going to discover some of what that is in these moments. Now, before we get into Moses' story, there's kind of a foundational truth that I think we need to soak in for a moment. There's a, there's a foundational truth that informs the way we look at all the stories we've looked at over the course of the summer and the ones we'll continue to process. It is so impactful and meaningful that we have to let it shape our understanding of the stories we're looking at if we're really to understand the heart and purpose of God for us in these moments. It's the first fill in on your outline if you're tracking along. It's this simple but profound statement. Giant faith is cultivated in the context of surrender. Giant faith is cultivated in the context of surrender. I believe God has desire for each of us to know and experience giant faith. That is not something that is kind of just infused in us immediately, but something that is developed over time in sort of a greenhouse environment. And the greenhouse environment for the seed of faith to take root and grow up big and strong is the context of surrender. Now, the dictionary, dictionary.com, defines surrender this way, as a verb, which means to give oneself up, as into the power of another, to submit or yield. And now you're all excited, right? Whenever we bring out the dictionary definitions, that just means it's going to be a great day, and especially digging into the concept of surrender. But keep pressing in. 
Surrender is one of those things where a definition is helpful, but it's really one of those aspects of life where we know it most when we see it. When we bump into surrender, we go, oh, there it is, or we notice it especially when it's missing. Now, uh, I love that I get to be one of the pastors here, but my favorite role in the world is getting to be Sarah's husband and Jubilee and Zechariah's dad. Jubilee is a precocious six-year-old who's pretty convinced she's already figured out how the whole world works, and Zechariah is, is our uh, just fun-loving four-year-old. And over the course of this summer, we were able to take a family vacation not too long ago that was a road trip. So we took an over 2,000-mile road trip, just the four of us, all alone together in a Honda Accord <laughs> for days. And I've got to tell you, there were moments when we bumped into surrender. There were more moments when we didn't. We knew it where, by where it was and where it wasn't. But one of my favorite moments from that trip was when we took a little bit of a detour and went to go experience Niagara Falls together as a family. We had never done that. I've ne I had never seen them before. And so here's a, here's a picture of us at the falls getting a quick selfie shot. Yeah, you guys get it. Oh, right? Thanks for that. So this is us in a, not long... Uh, after this was taken, we decided we were going to go for an experience together. On the Canadian side of the falls where we were, there's an opportunity for you to go 100 or so feet underground and then through a series of tunnels behind the horseshoe of the falls and kind of get a sense of how powerful these things are by looking out through the falling water from behind them. It's incredible. My wife and I were like, that sounds like such a great family memory-making thing. Let's do it. And so while we are in line approaching the booth where you pay the prices for the overpriced tickets to this attraction, we begin to see the differences in our two kids really play out. Zechariah is our right now kid. He is all about the moment. In fact, at the end of the day, when we ask our kids what their favorite part of the day was, he almost always says, right now. Like, this is my favorite. He's a right now kid. So as, we're, as Sarah and I are approaching that, we have to keep pulling Ziggy along as he gets enthralled by, like, potted plants and stuff that he just wants to look at. J Jubilee, our daughter, she's six, and she tends to think about four steps ahead of where we are, and she starts to get a sense of what this thing is that we're about to participate in together. And in her six-year-old mind, Going a hundred or so feet underground, behind the most powerful waterfalls she has ever seen, does not sound like something you do for fun. It sounds like something you do if you want to die. <laughs> do you know how I know that? Because she expressed as much, very loudly, in front of what felt like the whole world. Now, I've got to tell you, if you've never been to Niagara Falls, it is a melting pot of cultures. There are hundreds of people in and out of this space. And there we are watching our precious little girl melt down over this, over this opportunity. So I kind of pull her aside and have a little bit of fatherly corrective conversation with her. But it really is a series of questions and answers that she and I interact with together. So I asked Jubilee, who is 
frightened to tears almost about what we would like to go do as a family if I have ever taken her to a place where I know she will be unsafe. And her response is, of, of course not. No, you haven't. And, and so then I ask her if I've taken her to places where we've made great memories together. She goes, yeah, and she remembers some of the other things that we've done on our trip so far. And so then I let her know that I would like her to come with me and her mom and her brother so we can experience this thing as a family. If she chooses not to go, that's okay. I'll be a little irritated, but I'll stay with her. But I would really like for us to do this as a family. So would you for me, so I can experience this with you, would you come along with me? She sets back and she crosses her arms for a moment. She had already demonstrated very loudly in the course of our conversation that she has no problem speaking truth to power whatsoever. <laughs> and she says, I trust you, and I'll try. I said, okay. She trusted me, so she would try. In that moment, I think, is a beautiful picture of surrender. Or even though she didn't know the outcome, even though it felt unsure and a little scary and maybe dangerous, she knew my heart. And she knew that her dad would be with her. That I wasn't going to lead her anywhere. I wasn't going to be with her. And that together we would be okay. And so she proceeded down the, down the hallway and all was well until we got into the death tube. I mean the elevator. <laughs> and I'll tell you more about that. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But that simple principle of surrendered trust, of choosing even though it's scary to say yes, I think is, is a great picture of what we see play out in Moses' story and a great picture of how God want it, wants to interact in our lives. So before we get too far into Moses' story, it's helpful to have a little bit of background and context there. Moses is born 300 years after another man named Joseph. Joseph was a, a descendant of a man named Abraham. He had led the people of Egypt well. He had curried favor with the Pharaoh and was able to let his people, the people of Israel, live in, in a thriving situation. But over the course of time, the people of Israel, that's Moses' people, grow to be so powerful that the pharaohs enslave them and use them as a forced labor force, among other things. And then they get to be so numerous that the leaders are afraid of a revolt. So they, they declare that every baby boy born to a Hebrew is to be murdered upon their birth. That's the context that Moses is born into. And then we see that, that Moses is born to a, a couple of, uh, of parents, obviously, and they, seeing that, that there's something special going on there, they, they kind of hide him for uh, a little bit. And here's how we see this play, uh, this play out. This is what happens after Moses' parents disobey the king's order, hide him for a bit, and then through a series of miraculous circumstances, Moses is adopted by the princess of Egypt and moves from a child marked for death to somebody living a life of privilege and power. Okay? Here's how the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, refers to the story of Moses. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
And the story continues, by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. What this is referencing for us is a moment in time where God says he hears the cries of his people. He remembers the promise that he made to them to lead them to a place of abundance and prosperity, to a place, a land flowing with milk and honey, it says. And so God... God sends Moses as a rescuer for those people. And this reference is one of the most incredible moments in the story of Israel where God proves himself once and for all as more powerful than any God of Egypt, as more powerful than the most powerful king. That's what's being referenced here. This is part of, of Moses' story. But in each of the stories that we've heard this summer in Moses' story and in our story as well, I believe God has a design for how faith is supposed to work in us, how we are to live into what he is doing. I believe God has designed a rhythm of faith, and here's what it looks like when it plays out. I believe that begins with an invitation or an awareness, or a call to something more. This whole cycle is on the bottom of your note guide if you're following along. But that God invites us into something. He allows us to be aware of an opportunity, or maybe it's aware of an injustice where God's heart is moved for us to pursue action, or there's a deep, deep sense of call, an undeniable thing, this is what I was made for, and I must be about that. That's where we kind of enter into this cycle. The next thing that happens that God invites us into, remember, in the context of submission, in the context of saying, God, I surrender to you, you are leader and I am not, you are trustworthy, so I will go with you even though I don't know the outcome, in the next place is this place of patient obedience, where we choose to be patient and obedient today. And as opportunity comes to pursue the, the deep desire God has placed within us, we, we take an obedient step in God's timing according to his way. And we take the next obedient step according to God's timing in his way. And we're found faithful in what we might call the mundane things of life. Just managing the affairs of today in patient obedience. Knowing that what God has placed in us and in our heart, he will be faithful to bring to fruition. And after a season of that, we enter into that place of breakthrough, where we start to see what God has planted come to life, where we start to see that thing that we know we should be about, that thing that keeps us awake at night. We know God wants us to be part of something more. That voice, as we're about to fall asleep, that says there's more to life than you know, we begin to see that start to bloom in this place of breakthrough, but that's not the end. Then God allows us to be found faithful in the outcome. It's not just that we work for breakthrough, but then because we were surrendered to God in his invitation, we chose surrender in a season of patient obedience, even through adversity. We chose surrender until the moment of breakthrough, and we recognize that that breakthrough isn't ours, it's God's. Now, we are positioned to live in open-handed faithfulness with whatever the outcome is, whether it's what we anticipated or not, whether we're happy with the outcome 
or not. We are entrusted in how it plays, with how it plays out. And as we're faithful in that, I believe God invites us fresh and new to walk through that cycle again. This is God's design for faith for us. We see it in the stories we've walked through this summer. We see it in Moses' story. And in those moments where we've chosen, surrendered faithfulness, I believe we see this play out in our lives. The problem is, for many of us, we actually don't live this out. And we may not even know it. But while this may be God's great design for us, sometimes we find ourselves outside of that design. There's actually an episode in the life of Moses that helps illustrate that for us, I believe. So let me tell you about where I believe Moses became aware of something greater, that God had something more for him. It's actually here a little bit earlier in the book of Hebrews, verse 23 of chapter 11. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. For three months, Moses' parents hid him. Remember, Moses was supposed to die because he was born a boy. And instead, Moses' parents kind of squirrel him away, but they see he is no ordinary child. And I believe for those three months, Moses' mom and dad speak over the baby Moses that he is made for more, that he is not an ordinary child child parents grandparents those of you with any level of influence in the life of a child hear me i don't believe there are any ordinary children because every child born is marked by the image of god and has divine purpose how are you calling to life even in those simple moments of parenting, of influence, how are you calling to life that there is more, that God has more for them? I believe that's our opportunity. I think that's what Moses' parents do even in these three months. And then through some of those miraculous circumstances we talked about earlier, the daughter of Pharaoh allows Moses' mom to be his wet nurse for the next two or three years. So for the next two or three years, you get the sense that Moses' parents are saying, there is more. God has great things. There is more. The, the people that you are a part of are oppressed, but God can use you. This is who Moses is, okay? You tracking? This is yes. Bettendorf, you can say yes, all right? Okay, we're all in the same. All right, good. So here's what happens next as far as we see in the story of Moses. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor, his own people being the Israelites, the Hebrew people. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Let's look back at that cycle. It's going to be right here on the screen. Moses was aware of something more. And in a season 
that should have been surrendered, patient obedience, waiting for God to do what only God can do, Moses took matters literally into his own hands and started living into the cycle that many of ourselves find ourselves wishing were true and trying to make it true. We take out those side pieces and we just try to live as though there's a call and breakthrough. Back to a call and breakthrough. An invitation and outcome. And that's how we try to live. And we try to force that into happening out of our own strength. When we live this way, the results are disastrous. For Moses, it meant stepping outside God's great plan and desire for him for a season for four decades, 40 years he would run as a fugitive in the desert, serving as a, as a shepherd and a goat herder. And I think every day for 40 years, living over and over the moment he chose this cycle instead of God's best. And I bet you, I, I would wager that Moses felt he had lost everything and that God could do nothing with him now. That wasn't true, and we're going to see that in a moment. But for us, the the consequences can be just as bad. Often we sense a call to something more that God wants our relationships to be different. And so when we step outside of his cycle of invitation and patient obedience and breakthrough and faithfulness, when we step outside of that and we try to drive it to happen on our own, we end up looking back over our lives at a series of broken relationships after broken relationship after broken relationship. We'd see that happen with the dreams God has placed in our own hearts. It happened for Moses, where we sense God is something more for us, that we are to be part of something great, divine purpose, God's design. And we sense that. And so in our own timing, in our own effort, in our own method, we try to make that happen. And then we look back and we see a pattern of broken dream after broken dream after broken dream after broken dream. It doesn't have to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. But when we live that way, it's a symptom that we have bought into the presupposition that we are better at leading our lives than God is. That we are somehow m wiser, smarter, that we have better tools. We may not say that out loud, but our life fruit reveals that when we live in this cycle. And I gotta tell you, I agree. Sometimes it feels like if we could be in charge, things might move faster, but they won't move better. And we are terrible at leading our own lives. Can we just be honest? We make really dumb decisions. As people, we just make bad decisions. And then we get caught in this downward spiral of bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. But God is so good at leading our lives. I can say that. I know it's true because I know how he has led my family and me out of a place of brokenness, out of a place of a cycle of just despair and getting away from the things of who God is into a place of life and hope and purpose and adventure. He is so good at it. And in order to pursue his best, we live a life of surrender that says, Jesus, you alone are worthy to lead my life. I'm so bad at it. Would you do it? That's the context of surrender. That kind of, that kind of surrender is missing in this cycle. 
One of the things, though, that, uh, that I love about Moses' story is that God isn't done with Moses here. The book of Proverbs says this, that an, inv- that a, an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. That's, that's this cycle here. And yet God in his grace invites Moses into more yet again. Just because he stepped out of that cycle once doesn't mean he's done forever. What we discover in Moses is that God can redeem our circumstance and invite us back into that journey of faith. But we see this truth play out. It's that the invitation to faith is often found in ordinary moments. The invitation to faith is often found in ordinary moments. That may seem contrary to some of the stories you're familiar with when it comes to giant faith, but I want you to see this play out in Moses' life. Here here we see it. After Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, after 40 years of being in the desert as a fugitive, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, I know what you're thinking. Didn't you just say, like, ordinary circumstances? That doesn't seem so ordinary. I want you to look at this through the perspective of Moses, who is having a painfully ordinary day when something extraordinary happened. He had been by this patch of desert who knows how many times. He had walked through for day after day after day after day as a shepherd, as a person herding goats, back and forth through the desert. And this, after 40 years, was just one more day of soul-killing lostness, of soul-killing mundane living. But in, the sen- in that moment of ordinary living, God gets Moses' attention by Moses lifting his eyes up and seeing something off in the distance. Here's what's happened next. Moses saw that, the, that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. You'll see in, in the whole first five books of the Bible, Moses is a master of the obvious, okay? And he, he reveals that here for us. I should go check that out. Watch what happens next. This verse isn't in your handouts. It's right here. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Once Moses had gone over to look at the thing that piqued his curiosity... Then God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Understand, this is happening on a painfully ordinary day, and everything is about to change. How much so? Look what happens after a beautiful, patient conversation with Moses. So now, go I am sending you, you Moses, who thought your life was done. I'm sending you Moses, who made a terrible mistake and stepped outside of my design for you. But I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt into a place of freedom and hope. This is an incredible moment where God in ordinary circumstances moves Moses to something extraordinary. And again, I wonder for you and me, 
When we find ourselves in that place where it feels like we're in the midst of a soul-crushing cycle of mediocrity, of the same thing day after day, there must be more. Are you allowing your eyes to be lifted up? Are you looking for those things where God might be trying to pique your curiosity and grab your attention and invite you into something that will change the whole future of your life, not because of who you are, but because of who he is? the God of all flesh. This is what plays out for Moses. And it is, it's so life-giving for us. I love the way God works in this. Moses receives this new call. And this time, he lives into the next part of that cycle. He lives into the place of patient obedience, even though it's patient obedience in a, in a tough, tough situation. I believe this is the reason so many of us step out of God's desired rhythm of faith for us. It's that patient obedience requires trust in adversity. Patient obedience requires trust in adversity. Moses, he, he saw the Spirit of God in a burning bush and went with a sense of call in God's time, in obedience to him, to the people of God, who, by the way, were crying out to heaven for rescue. And when Moses comes and says, I have brought rescue, the I am has sent me, I am coming to rescue you, life starts to get a little tough, and the people tell Moses, go away. We don't want you. Because life just got a little bit harder. But Moses, in adversity chooses patient obedience moment after moment day after day and God single-handedly dismantles the entire Egyptian sense of belief and and shows himself as the one true God and rescues the people of Israel we have bought into a lie that when we face adversity when we face difficult circumstances, it must mean that God is not for us or that God doesn't love us. Because if God really loved us, would he allow us to go through so many challenges? That, that is a lie. The truth of God's word is this, that God makes us strong, that he enables us to endure adversity for his sake. God may not author every adversity that we face, but I believe he is faithful in it, that he walks with us in those places, and then he uses adversity, challenge and pain, he uses them to shake loose everything from us that would keep us from really being able to live into the cycle that God has for us. You see, when we're still, when we're still mired in our own stuff, it's really hard to live in breakthrough as God brings freedom. God shakes it loose in us when we walk through adversity. It isn't fun. In fact, it can be painful, but he is there with us. He is a faithful God who loves us so much. He says he will never leave us. He will, he will never leave us in that. The truth is we cannot have adventure without difficulty. So many of us look for a life without difficulty, but a life without difficulty isn't adventurous. Adventure without difficulty is sightseeing. 
Think about the stories of, of my two kids, right? You talk to Ziggy about his experience at Niagara Falls, and he'll tell you, oh, that was fun. My favorite thing right now is right now, though, right? We had, a great, we had a great sightseeing trip, but right now is great. Talk to my daughter, Jubilee, about her experience. Oh, she'll tell you about her great adventure at the Great Falls at Niagara, right? Difficulty is part of adventure, and God calls us to lives of adventure. God can use adversity, the kind that others put in our lives to mean us harm. God uses it to refine us and prepare us. For Moses, we see it play out this way in Hebrews. It says, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward by faith. He left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Do not miss this. All right? Don't miss it. Paying attention? There's a moment in Moses' story where the glory of God rests on a mountain and Moses is there and he spends so much time in the presence of God. He asks God, would you reveal yourself to me? God does that and Moses' face starts glowing with God's glory, so much so that the people of God get so freaked out by it, they tell Moses, can you please cover that thing up? It's weird. That happens in the Bible, okay? But that's not, that's not all that the scripture writer is talking about. In fact, at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, we find this bit of conversation. That in the past, at many times and in various ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, the risen one. There is a sense Moses is looking forward to Jesus and he from his great place in history as the giant of faith that he is yearned for what you and I can have in relationship with Jesus. There's a very real sense that the risen Jesus brings us to a place where we can have greater faith than Moses, where we can see greater things done for the sake of the name of God and the kingdom of God than all the great heroes of faith we've ever heard of because his spirit is with us, because Jesus is the victorious giver of life, the conqueror of the grave, the defeater of sin, the hope of the ages, the person who is with us even now. Amen. Moses yearned for what we have if we are in Christ. And that, that is such an incredible thing to me, that we get to live lives of great faith. In fact, we don't just get to live lives of great faith. It's not just something that we hope for. In our so what moment for what this means, we look at this statement. It's that we are designed as people of faith. We are designed as people of faith. God made us to be people of faith. God hardwired our hearts to chase first and foremost after him, to choose his way over our way. He 
put into us when we step into relationship with Jesus, the ability to pursue God no matter the cost. In fact, the whole theme of the book of Hebrews from beginning to end is to persevere, to keep on keeping on, to keep pursuing the things of God, to be found faithful no matter how hard it is. And there's a sense that God is the one who implanted that ability for faithfulness in us. In fact, this is what the Hebrew writer says to us who are in Christ. Look at this. Look at this. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we who are in Christ belong to those who have faith and are saved. This is who we are. It's who we're meant to be. I think back to that story with Jubilee in in the falls, and I have to tell you, Her initial, I trust you, was great, but she had to keep choosing trust every moment that we were there. When we got onto the elevator, packed with people, and she's this tiny little six-year-old girl shoved in the corner, certain that we are never getting out of this circumstance, she chose to trust. And she ended up making it through the whole journey with us. And if you ask her what one of her favorite parts of our trip was now, if you had asked her in the moment, it wouldn't have hit this. But now it was that time behind the falls together where she chose just to trust and not to shrink back, to keep pressing forward. We are called to be that kind of people. That leads us to kind of our final question. What is your next step? What's your next step of surrender? I believe as as we've been talking, the Holy Spirit has been identifying areas in your life, in your family, in your relationships, where he's calling you to trust him. He's calling you to that moment of saying, God, I'm not good at leading my life. Even when I think I am, you're so much better. Would you take this part of me and use it for your sake? And when we do that, we find ourselves primed for adventurous faith. Jesus modeled that so beautifully. When he chose to come to earth fully God and fully human and pour his life out for us, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. The ultimate act of surrender. And in just a moment, at each of our campus expressions, we're going to be participating in the means of grace of communion, where we believe the Spirit of God is especially present. As we reflect on the surrendered sacrifice of Jesus, and we know that because of his faithfulness, we can be found faithful. And so after I pray in a moment, the ushers are going to pass the elements. They're going to come to you in trays with, uh, with a double cup. Take both cups in the stack and then hold on to them. If you need a gluten-free option, it's at the back of your campus expression. Your campus pastor will lead you in the communion moment, so you're going to want to hold on to that until it's time after we pray and after we sing a little bit. But even with those elements held in your hand, reflecting on the great love and gift of surrendered sacrifice in Jesus, I would invite you to ask him to speak to you about what your next step of sacrifice is. Communion is one of those things that's for for followers of Jesus. Only Christ followers are able to participate in communion. 
If, if you're not there yet, I would invite you, maybe today is the day. Your next step of surrender may very well be to just ask Jesus to be the one who forgives and leads you step by step. He is faithful. He will do it. If you do that, I invite you, participate in communion with us. If you haven't done that and you're just not ready for that yet, that's okay. I'm so glad you're here. I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to you. But when the elements come by, just let them pass by. As we prepare our hearts for communion, again, I invite you to ask, what is my next step of surrender? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, by your word, you have breathed life and hope into us. You have called us fresh and new to live lives that honor you. Lord, we repent of those moments where we have chosen our way and our timing, our perspective over yours. We ask you to forgive us and to lead us in a new way. As we prepare to receive communion, God, would you speak to us with such clarity about what our next step of surrender is and then give us courage to take it. I ask you in this moment, would you search us? Would you know us? See if there's any offensive way in us Oh, Lord Jesus, we desire to be like you. We desire to be the people of faith you've designed us to be, and sometimes we just don't know how. So I ask that you would lead, you would guide, and you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.